Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a minute to brag on the crew over at SaveWithConrad.com. I just saw an incredible five-star review from Zach up in Roselle park, New Jersey. He left us a five-star review over at ConradReviews.com. Go take a look for yourself. Here's what Zach had to say. Exceptional service by Jimmy and the team. We started talking back in spring of 2020. Jimmy was right there when we were ready in 2021. We shaved off eight years from our original mortgage. In the end, we will save over $200,000 just in interest. Guys, do you hear me? $200,000 he saved all because he listened to this podcast. What are you waiting for? If you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And I don't know how long we can do this, but right now we can even approve credit scores in the five hundreds. That's right. We're going down to a 580 credit score. You have three credit scores. As long as two of your scores are 580 or better, man, you can start saving money today. And by the way, that's a government backed loan. That's an FHA loan with the best interest rate you've ever had. Get the best deal you've ever had for your family with my family at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And come next year, you could be saving a boatload of cash. Like my man Zachary up in New Jersey. He saved 200 grand. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Flat nut. Flat nut. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to My World with Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Hello, Conrad Thompson. I'm fired up. The debate's going to continue. Awesome feedback this past week. Lots of engagement. Uh, all the socials at My World are, I mean, it's it's really rock and roll. Not just my top-notch gambling picks, but I'm just talking about the Slap nut of the week and the King of the Mountain episode of the week and just the good back and forth. Uh, kudos to the ad free team, including the researchers. Um, lots of double down research this week. So I'm fired up. I had a lot of fun last week, and it's one of those things. I did an interview this week for a UK uh, publication, Conrad, and uh, they said, Tell me what you don't like and tell me what you do like. Uh, and man, the thing that, that, um, I, I they jumped off the page and I responded. I said, I didn't realize I was going to have this much fun just doing the process that you have set up. So obviously put over you and the team, but just the whole process of we don't just sit down and turn on the mic. That ain't it. No. A lot like a wrestling show, a lot like a wrestling match. The more prepared you are, the more we dive into it. And uh, a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Can't wait. Let's jump into it. Part two of your WCW run. Of course you had two WCW runs. This is part two of the first run. And, uh, we're going to pick it up where we left off 1997. You're going to find yourself teaming with Mongo McMichael as you're sort of playing hokey pokey with the uh, four horsemen. Go ahead. Can, can I interrupt you just for a second? Yes, sir. Oh, most of the time, Conrad, you get into so how's things been going and you know that's sort of part one of things and got a lot going on in my my world pardon the pun but then you say well did you have any feedback and then we sort of talk about feedback well for some reason this week you're not talking about feedback because i believe i saw a couple of comments about our 
uh, it's not, not, not really a dust up that we had, but your, your debate, Sal, we say that I wasn't a full horseman. And I know we're going to get into that this episode, but you just sort of skipped over on by that. So I'll get off my uh, little commentary and give the reins back to you. So go ahead. Oh, I didn't bring it up. Cause you're not a horseman. Everybody knows that. Oh God, man. Stop it. Just stop it. So you in- call an Anderson a liar. Uh, no, Arn Anderson in a loud and clear voice in, in, in the year of our Lord, 2021 said, oh, no, she were not <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Never. Oh, you guys, it, it doesn't fit the narrative. Huh? Is that what it is that? Yeah. So he's flip-flopped and we, look, everybody can flip-flop. Let, let but me, he, in 1997, he said, I was a horseman. Yeah. They paid, they made him say it. I'm sure it was scripted somewhere, but the <laughs> oh, point so, is. So- so some things are real and some things aren't real. Yeah. It wasn't real when he said it. Yeah. It's wrestling, man. <laughs> I'm talking about in our hearts and minds. I mean, when we think about horsemen, we think about Oli, we think about Arn, we think about Tully, we think about flair. We think about Barry, even for a cup of coffee. We think about Luger and sting. We think about Sid vicious. In fact, and you're, <laughs> and you're trying to convince me that Jeff Jarrett and Mongo and Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson. Nah, that ain't how we want to remember the horseman. So it's it may remember it. But did you do your research and look at the clips. Did you hear the people? Yeah, I heard the people. I heard them uh, start reading the newspaper when you joined the horseman. I heard them open that newspaper again when you joined the NWO. And I heard a loud whoopee cushion when you joined the Bullet Club. That's what I heard. I mean, you can't get, you can't get on the front end, a successful end of a, of a faction. You're, you're in the tail end all the time. Got hate with you. No, not at all. Just saying, if you have a successful faction out there, I don't know what you're calling factions. The, the elite, if you joined the elite, (laughs) the elite would be dead by spring. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what's happened. You've, you've killed the four horsemen. You killed the NWO. Oh, okay. I will say over the last seven days, the, uh, the engagement, and it is fascinating to see the different eras, the Paul Roma era. And, but it, it does go back to, and, and, uh, is my shirt? No, I don't have the family. Paul Roma on. was way more of a horseman than you were. Paul Roma had a tag title run with Arn Anderson. Tweet coming pal. That, that right there is some serious, serious. <laughs> Paul Roma is way more of a horseman than you ever were. He was a tag champ with Arn Anderson. You couldn't catch your ass with both hands in 1997 in the horseman. He's champion of multiple times as the horseman. Yeah, but that doesn't count really. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the associate. I mean, anybody could be a singles guy. I'm talking Isn't about you, you. in 97. Or was it hotter in late eighties when Paul Roma was a horseman? Oh, that's not late eighties. That was a couple of years prior to this, but let's run through that. I think we all agree that the business was just doing so, so, and then you showed up, joined the horseman, took off like a rocket. <laughs> Wasn't the NWO. Fuck that. I had nothing to do with stone cold. Steve Austin. I knew I'd get you good in a way. It was all time. about the strutting and this horse shit. And that's all they wanted, man. <laughs> they were good to go. Oh, happy my world day there, Conrad. So you immediately start teaming with Mongo. Uh, you're in Sacramento, huge crowd, 8,856 fans. And I know some of you are saying that's not a big crowd. It would be these days. Uh, and well, from, hold on. and just a footnote on that, 
Sacramento. That's West Coast time start. That's five in the afternoon when folks are getting out of work. It's a hell of a crowd. It's the road to uncensored is what we're doing here. And the observer would write public enemy beat Jeff Jarrett and Steve McMichael. When McMichael hit Jarrett with the briefcase on purpose after the match, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson came out and said the two were both horsemen and we're going to have to put their differences aside and make them shake hands. McMichael said Jarrett was like his brother and that he may slap him around, but nobody else better do it. What do you think of that creative? You know, uh, we, we got into it, I guess, toward the end of last week's episode, a lot of, and you know, 50, 50 booking may not tell it accurate, but uh, repetitive and, you know, to take a step back, you've already touched on it. We've had a lot of fun already here, but you know, the NWO, uh, I think, uh, from a, you know, to, from a 30,000 viewpoint, the NWO and Hogan and Hall and Nash and that whole storyline dominated everything. And Arn said, and, and, uh, seriously shout out to the researcher, uh, my brother, Derek, that, that he really dove in. And there's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, ups and downs here, but we were basically telling the same story over and over and over and over. Uh, but the reality was Arn was hurt. Rick was hurt. So you didn't have the main players, the main cogs of the four horsemen being able to wrestle. And so that made it difficult. And, you know, Mongo uh, was not a polished talent by any stretch of the imagination. And, and so we did have our work cut out and then Chris was going off and doing his thing with Kevin Sullivan and the dungeon of doom. It, it was not a easy story to tell. And we told the same story a couple of times over and over. Uh, but we sort of always arrived, uh, at, at the same spot. Rick said I was in, we get to the point where I'm in, but, um, 50, 50 or repetitive, uh, would be the, my, my uh, most simple feedback. So, uh, are you enjoying your WCW run at this point? We'll call it, you know, late winter, 1997. So late February, March, are, are you digging, are you digging your WCW run so far? Is it what you expected? Conrad, I'm loving it. It isn't what I expected. I think we've touched on that multiple times. You know, it was inside of a month when I got there and, and really realized again, I'm coming from the territories. And just the, I'll call it the pecking order and the hierarchy and how that organization was run and go to Vince and the WWF and Pat and just how that organization was run. And I knew, I mean, literally night one when I premiered, uh, debuted, um, it's a corporate run entity with a lot of moving parts and a lot of talent that had a lot of say, so And Kevin Sullivan, you know, he, 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 you know, we would have those conversations. He had an incredibly difficult job. But was I having fun? I was absolutely loving it. I mean, 29-year-old kid, Ric Flair says I'm a horseman. We're doing strut-offs. Who wouldn't? I mean, it, it, I was having a blast, to tell you the truth. Let's talk about um, the Omni. Your next show is the last WCW event that was ever held at the Omni. March 3rd, 1997. There's 13,693 fans there. You grew up. At the Coliseum in Memphis, it was like, you know, your home away from home, but an iconic wrestling venue and for Georgia championship wrestling and the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions, the Omni was one of those buildings. Did you recognize this as being a special building? What do you remember about working at the Omni? I, I guess this would have been maybe your first time and your last time there, right? I think 
Certainly my last, but, but, um, I, I would assume my first, uh, but you know, Tommy rich, uh, is from Hendersonville, Tennessee. And, you know, Tommy broke in literally here in Hendersonville father and, and, you know, the, 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 the whole group trained him. And then, you know, when he went to Atlanta and, and really took off, I mean, Tommy and Omni and, and, and all of that. So I, I certainly, um, it's just a legendary building. You already touched on it. Mid-South Coliseum, legendary building. You know, uh, me and Scott Hall uh, and, and others, but, you know, we were on the very last show in the old Boston Garden. Um, I believe it was me and Scott or me and Diesel were in the uh, very last wrestling show in the Montreal Forum. So it's it's during that mid-'90s, new arenas were being built, old ones were being torn down or closed down and all that. And so, yeah, I was well aware of the history in it. My dad, you know, all the stories that he would tell me went down a book for Barnett and, and, and just that's where he first met Ted Turner and, 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 you know, the Ole and Gunkel and all the names of Georgia wrestling. Um, it's legendary. And so, yeah, I certainly did. And wow. 13,000, you said, yeah, it was a big, I, crowd, I big crowd. That, how long it had been before that, that there was a sellout, uh, but yeah, I, I certainly did, Conrad, know the historical uh, perspective of the Omni. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save it's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. The last time, uh, WCW ran the building, uh, or this is the last time that WCW would run the building and you and McMichael lose again. This time it's to Conan and Hugh Morris. When you accidentally hit Mongo with the briefcase and bust him open and you, uh, you killed him. What do you remember about that? Conrad, I went back and watched this video and you talk about jarring memories and I can, I can remember us sort of talking through it and Mongo was like, no dude, don't. Cause I was going to do it with two hands. That's the safety route, much more controlled. I said, if I have it in one hand, I'm going on the swivel and the handle of the Halliburton. You don't have a lot. It's like a swinging door. Don't have a lot of control on that. He said, just swing the hell out of it. And I said, all right. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll protect myself. I've said, look, when I'm yanking from Rocco, it's coming. He said, don't worry. I'm leaning over. I got my hand right there. All righty. If you see Brian, God rest his soul. If you see Brian Hildebrand in this clip, he literally, because it was, and when you hit somebody, you know, it's a thud. It was a thud. And Mongo sold it perfectly. Um, And, and there, down he goes. But I mean, Brian Hildebrand came over to me. He said, you killed him. Look, blood immediately. I mean, he was trying to let me know. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And I knew we had an end ring afterwards. So um, my world listeners, if you want to, if you want to have a, and I don't know if it's a chuckle, or if you want to call me a complete idiot, or if you want to watch some wrestling, watch that Halliburton connect with uh, Mongo, because it was a thud and he got up. Wiped off that blood and we got us an in ring done afterwards. 
that's actually not the segment that's most remembered from this show. This is the show where uh, the, uh, Piper angle, maybe hit the skids. He had three men come out to try out, to be on his team at uncensored. One of those guys, of course, was John Tenta. It's known as being one of the worst segments ever in the history of nitro. It went like 20 minutes. Do you remember this angle and, and watching it in the back? And was everybody looking around like, uh, this ain't good. Well, when it got to about, I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14 minutes, my gut would tell me it was probably slotted for around that. But you know, once you go one minute long, the next following minute and two minutes and three minutes, they feel like 10 minute intervals. I can remember going long and people, but I was, uh, JJ Dillon was in there. There was a bunch of us in a room sort of watching it. And, um, God, if I recall correctly, Arn was in that room and Arn was given commentary. Like only Arn can give, I'll say that. Um, but there were others and it was just mesmerizing, a disaster, entertaining, um, there were several folks watch this come out with a hell of a rating. And I think it actually sort of peaked a number. Now you don't have commercial breaks and you know, boy, this day and age, everybody wants to be the ratings expert when you dive in, but you really got to know how all that stuff ebbs and flows, but you know, with no commercial breaks in an entire quarter hour, the, the number is going to be up, but it did a good number, but boy, it was a train wreck for sure. Uh, you and Benoit are going to be teaming up at a house show in Columbia to beat Scott Norton, who replaced Kevin Nash, who couldn't make it. And he was teaming with, uh, Scott Hall, but Hey, this is a main event in Columbia. You know, Benoit is arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world here in 1997, taking on your old buddy, Scott Hall, who you had uh, got to know pretty well. Scott Norton was a man and a half and Hey, here you are going on last. That's a little faith and confidence from WCW bookers. Is it not? I, I was, like I said earlier, Conrad, I was having a blast. Uh, Chris, you ain't kidding, man. He could go. Um, he worked his style. Uh, he was adaptable, but still it was a, a Benoit style, which, which made in and of itself stand out. Um, but, but, you know, uh, I can, again, looking at this match and, and others and going through the time that, that Scott Hall, the NWO portrayed as heels the, and, and the four horsemen through the years were, were essentially heels all that time. But when, you know, in this setting, it was, it, it was always a little bit difficult to, especially in live events, non-televised shows, house shows, if you will, what story are we going to tell them out here guys? Um, because people pay a ticket, they want to come be entertained. They want to get engaged. And a lot of times, if you confuse them, it's just a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. Let's, uh, let's mention you get to work a very special nitro the next week. It's a show at club La Vila. Boy, people love these spring break nitros. What do you remember of yours? You're going to pick up a win with your old best friend here, Mongo over high voltage, but it's a different type of venue for sure. Take us through it. I love, you know, I love spectacles, hog wild, La Vila. Um, you, you name it just different. Um, it, it, you know, I, I think it just brings a little something unique. Now, is it for everybody every week? No, and, but, but it, these type of spectacles every quarter or, you know, once a month or whatever it is, something a little bit unique and different. I think it makes for great television. Now the live event experience, 
you know, it, it, at times it's challenging and, you know, staying over the years, coming into a helicopter, you can only do that in this, this type venue. You can't obviously do it, but, but it also, the, the ambiance and a lot of distractions and obviously you have to deal with the, the elements, the wind and, and what have you, but I loved it. It was different. The product was so damn hot too. You just look at these houses and, and going back and watching the clips and how the people responded. It was um, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, have any fun? See if any, any of your friends having any fun that trip to Panama city. Well, what do you think? <laughs> that is the first time, um, that, you know, and that's where this, for those that don't know club La Vila is the, um, location that the very last nitro, uh, you know, took place. So this I, was, I don't the think that's time. technically correct. It was in Panama city, but I don't think it was at club La Vila, the last one, but this but we're talking about 97 is my bad, my bad club will be that you're right. Because when nitro closed, when uh, WCW closed last nitro, we went to club Lavila the two nights before you're right. Thank you, sir. Uh, but no, it's, it, it was, it's a cool spectacle. Um, you know, uh, this summer Conrad, when I went down to the beach, uh, I walked past old club Lavila and it shut down. No more. It's the end of an era. Yep. Do you ever go there as a single man? Like I said, there was a group of guys, uh, that that went. So no, never went there as a single man. No, that's a shame. (laughs) So you're in the ring with uh, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper here in the middle of them cutting promos as you know, a wrestling fan, your whole life. That's gotta be like a dream come true. Is it not? Say that again. Now I talked over you. You're in the ring on, on Monday night show with Ric Flair and, and, and Roddy Piper. This has got to be like a, a boyhood dream come true for you. Yeah. And you know what always was, um, you know, a lot of people that tuned into nitro didn't really realize how much history Flair and Piper had in the Carolinas, but you can look at it just about every in ring. I mean, up through their last one. Uh, I think the last one was when Flair was wearing a kilt uh, in, in WWE. Maybe not the last one, but every time they uh, had the, shared the stage together, um, they had a certain chemistry, and you could tell it. And, um, you know, this is where we sort of joined forces with Piper's group and headed into that pay-per-view. Uh, what a bunch of scrambled eggs we're going to get into. But, yeah, it was very, very cool. Uh, and uncensored, you have a three-way match in the main event. It's the NWOs, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, and Randy Savage taking on team WCW, which is the giant Lex Luger, Scott Steiner, and team Piper, which is you Piper, Chris Benoit, and Steve McMichael. This just seems like straight chaos. Uh, what do you remember about this match? The rules are in a word crazy. Three people start. And if you go over the top rope to the floor, you're eliminated. And then three more people come in after five minutes, you're eliminated in a touch over nine minutes. But this just feels like a cluster from the word go. Oh, if you ran this business long enough, you, uh, get to encounter these. These are like 30 men battle roll that start at the same time. And you try to tell a story and the guy who lays it out doesn't really realize there's no way you can tell a story with that many folks in the ring. Yeah. So this is, this is one of those, 
Uh, is it, again, uh, and I'm not saying this was Kevin Sullivan's idea. I was just the creative, but looked a lot better on paper. Uh, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've written stuff down and tried to go out and produce things. And it just, you, you lay an egg. Um, but again, did the people pay money on this pay-per-view to see a highly executed, uh, what would this be? A 12 man, three team tag. It's almost like the Kevin Nash invitational X division gauntlet world cup battle roll. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Earlier in the show, you and McMichael would interfere in a match with uh, Harlem heat and public enemy leading to uh, enemy losing, which I guess is to build your next program. What'd you think of working with those guys? Public enemy, Johnny grunge. Uh, you know, I love working with them. I mean, they had charisma. They understood, you know, I knew their background and you know, they, the ECW vibe, um, the day they came into WCW in a lot of ways, they stood out because they had a different vibe about them. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, I don't think I only had maybe a few matches. I don't even recall, but most of the time I was teaming with Mongo and Mongo, um, Look, we, I think me and Steve had several good single matches. I don't call them great, but they were good because Steve could go, um, great athlete, but you know, he, he was a, he was a all pro football player. So it's a completely different skill set. but he adapted well. I mean, like really well, but putting him in a tag against, for lack of a better word, hardcore wrestlers, it just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't mix. Uh, Steve wasn't accustomed to that style. Hell, he was just getting accustomed to, to having a basic tag match. Uh, but I love uh, public enemies vibe and, and, and charisma. You know, it's around this time of year. Everybody in my circle starts to talk about how they need to start getting in shape. Uh, they want to make sure they're ready for the new year. And of course, when the new year rolls around, we're all talking about new year's resolutions. But the reality is most of us have reverted back to our old ways, man. We're working too hard and we're probably not working out enough. And if you've wanted to get in shape, but felt like you didn't have time to get to the gym, here's a little pro tip for you. Echelon brings the gym home. You see, Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation all right in the comfort of your own home. Echelon's fitness app provides you thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music from your favorite artists like Pitbull and many more. With Echelon, you can work out anytime, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. You just pick your class, climb the leaderboard, cheer each other on, and give it your all. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. Echelon's full range of affordable workout equipment including stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and the auto folding treadmill are all connected to provide the echelon experience. You get around the clock classes for the family, including full body workout programs that keep you coming back. One membership covers a family of five. And right now for a limited time, podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP to get this exclusive podcast discount. Just text Jeff to 818181. Text J-E-F-F to 818181 to get up to $800 off of the MSRP. One more time, text Jeff to 818181. I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you did. Get this special offer. It won't last forever. It's $800 off MSRP. 
Just text J-E-F-F to 818181. I'm telling you, you're going to dig Echelon. The, uh, you're eventually going to cost PE to lose the high voltage on nitro from Duluth. And they return to favor to you the next week in Roanoke. You got 8,700 fans there and PE is going to cause you and Mongo to lose to the amazing French Canadians. So the hijinks continue here with you and Mongo just sort of screwing up the matches together or people are interfering. You just can't get the momentum. Uh, cause you're clearly the two worst horsemen of all time. Anyway, uh, the amazing French Canadians. Any memories of working with them? PCO and uh man, the heat magnet himself. Jacques Rougeau. Yeah, I mean, well, you got any good Jacques stories? It feels like everybody who spent any time with him has a fun Jacques story. I just saw Jacques in Albany, New York, and we caught up and he had on his Mountie outfit. And uh I was a young man in Tennessee. Um I love that character when it came out, you know, I was, had broke into the business, but he was on late eighties, uh, WWF and Jacques was such an irritating heel that always came through, um, nothing to like about him. Um, you know, as far as a character presented on WWF television, but you step foot in, um, Quebec and they love him. They absolutely love him. But, um, Jock came down years ago and worked for my father. And, uh, so there was a kinship the day that, that, um, you know, uh, I reconnected with Jacques in, in, in New York. We immediately shared stories and Jock had that good recall. He's really got a very good recall in, in, in his memory. Very good. And he asked about my grandfather, Eddie Marlin and Hey, how's this guy? And do you still run Evansville? Do you do this town? So we always connected through that over the years, but, um, uh, Jacques, um, he, he's one of the proverbial ones that if you didn't really know Jacques, he'd irritate the hell out of you. But once you got to know him, Jacques. Yeah. It's, I feel the same way about our feedback from this show. You know, you irritated the hell out of everybody, but now on the show, they're getting to know you and they like you just Jeff. Oh, Conrad, you're chastising me. No, I'm not. You're- me, but I got some proof today that you are absolutely wrong. No, just you, you don't. Conrad, oh, Podfather. Podfather doesn't think I'm a full horseman. Pal, your father in law said it on tape multiple times. I am a full horseman. Well, let's just put that to the test right now. I mean, I feel like you're trying to call punk cards. That's not even what we're supposed to be doing, but here we go. See, see, what's up, big daddy. Hey man, I'm recording a podcast right now with Jeff Jarrett. He says he was a, uh, four horsemen. Was he a member of the four horsemen? God, I think he was for a day. <laughs> Does that sound right? I don't know. I mean, I'm so deluded. I wish he would have been, but it certainly would have been better than a lot of the people we had uh, I just saw Jeff. How's he doing? Oh, uh, he's great, man. We're having fun because Arn Anderson says, hell no, Jeff Jarrett wasn't a four horseman. And I was a damn four horseman the entire year because Rick Flair said I was a four horseman. Uh, enjoy your day, man. I'm going to get back to the show. I just wanted to have you do a run in. Yeah, you got a good game yesterday, huh? Hey, man. Roll Tide. Yeah, good deal for you. All right, buddy. Love you. You too, man. Talk to you soon. We're getting ready to go to work next Monday. Looking forward to it. See you soon. Okay, bye. So there you go. He says you were in for a day. So the debate's over. 
And he said, I wish I was in for a lot longer. So, but that's okay. Rick, Rick. So are we going to debate this about cousin Arn? No, I mean, Arn says, you know, you shouldn't have been in, but it is what it is. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I think even Rick would argue that Mongo was one of the greatest horsemen of all time, but it was based on his out of ring performance. If you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. And Hey, you know what? You came into your own as a horseman in that regard, about 10 years after this. Um, do you think the goal at this point here in 97 is you versus Steve with Deborah on the line Were you guys, you know, if Russo was here would we had Deborah on a pole, you think? <laughs> no, you know, the, the thing that, and look, I didn't know what was going on in their, their personal life. It, obviously none of our business, but the one thing that Kevin Sullivan and me talked about, when you just look at Mongo, I mean, out of all the NFL teams, Packers got a lot of grip, but the bears and their defense, I mean, I mean, they're a man's man, a pro's pro, a football badasses football. I mean, everything that said ultimate badass was Mongo and his wife was a legit, uh, beauty pageant, uh, uh, participant winner, whatever you want to say. So when you look at, looked at them on camera, a valet didn't go with him. A second didn't go with him. A manager didn't go with him. Um, and so Kevin saw it immediately that, okay, Deborah, Kevin Sullivan, that is Deborah will, will be better paired with Jeff. Um, but that was the direction that was always told to me. And we would get there. Then we wouldn't get there. We would get there. Then we wouldn't get there. And, you know, again, we were, we were just playing handcuff because Rick's health wasn't great and Arn's health wasn't great. So it was really difficult. And then, and then the, another whole layer of that is Chris Benoit and Nancy and, and Kevin Sullivan, the dungeon doom and that whole story. So it was, uh, not an easy show to write for Kevin Sullivan by any stretch of the imagination. At Springs Stampede, thankfully public enemy beat you in Mongo. Uh, Meltzer gave it a quarter of a star. And, uh, he says, McMichael was brought back to the earth as far as how far he really has to go when working with guys who don't expertly carry him. It was mainly a four-way brawl, but not much of one. The finish would see grunge, put Deborah on the table. Jarrett saved her with a chair shot that grunge barely sold grunge. Then put Jarrett on the table and went for an elbow drop, but Jarrett moved and he went through the table for the best spot of the match. The match then turned into a total mess. Rocco rock got the briefcase. When Jarrett put grunge in the figure four Rocco hit Jarrett with the case. Jarrett collapsed with the shoulders on the mat while still holding the figure four quarter of a star public enemy had a reputation, you know, for, uh, you know, good, bad. I mean, everybody had an opinion. You liked working with them, but this match for whatever reason, just didn't really click. Why do you think that is Conrad? It stunk. It absolutely Stunk. I mean, look, it's, I guess it doesn't really sound nice for, for me to cash it that way, but it's terrible. And you know, house show matches, live event matches, non-televised matches. What do you call them? Conrad? I hadn't really, what do you usually call them on all your podcasts? House show matches? Yeah, they're house shows, but listen, if you want to use vent speak, I'm fine with it. I know you're angling for a job back. I get it. (laughs) Boy, you got your daggers out. I love it. Um, Shit, I lost my train of thought. No, the, uh, the house show matches, the non-tele. I like to call, you know what I do? 
not live event. Every show's a live event. You know that irritated me, and I brought that up a couple of times. Anyway, not televised. Uh, Public Enemy was much better in that kind of scenario because they would engage the crowd and play around with the crowd, and then the, then we would get to work and have a different pacing that that comes with not having to be on the clock for TV. When you walk through the curtain on Nitro, Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, whatever TV show you're doing, you're, you're on the clock and everything that goes with it. And in the back, you've laid out this stuff, but all of a sudden, if you get this huge reaction and the people are really with it, well, then there goes 45 seconds to a minute and then there goes 90 seconds and you're behind the eight ball. But watching this match back, it, it was just nothing was in sync. Everything was a little off. And it was trying to do a 10 to 12 minute match in six minutes or five minutes. And then once you get to, you know, to, to, to really do, I call it an afterbirth after the bell rings and you got to tell your story, which is all of the utmost importance. If you don't slow down and try to really tell your story, it never works. And this is a classic example of trying to get your match in then get your finish in, then get the story out after the, the bell. It is a mess. So next up, we've got uh, talk of you teaming with Kevin green and Reggie white in an upcoming pay-per-view according to the observer. Did anybody ever mention that to you that you might be teaming with two footballers here? Yes. Yeah. And, and that was, uh, we touched on it last week and that free team clipped that up about uh, something that don't hold it against me, but that was a conversation that, Look, Reggie and Kevin never have matches um, ever at this point, to my knowledge, uh, um, and and Mongo. But you know, it was the football storyline. And when you, God, what's it was really cool to think through this entire year, this episode, or just WCW in general. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Rod Gronkowski was a part of Mania, but Reggie White, Hall of Famer, Kevin Green, Hall of Famer, uh, Mongo in the Four Horsemen. Uh, you know, just all legendary players and here they are as a part of the hottest show. You talk about being ingrained in pop culture. I mean, that's front page USA today in those days, all the time, you know, throw in Rod Rodman and tail into this year or, or coming up. It was so ingrained in pop culture to have a wrestling show at the biggest club in the Southeast club, La Vila. It's just those kind of things that just keep popping up. But Kevin Sullivan, yeah. Talk to me. And, and he said it, look, he didn't promise me, but he's like, I don't know where this is going, but uh, my votes to put you somehow in that, to try to direct traffic. And, and those are the kind of things, you know, whether it's Chuck Norris or, or whatever it is, I love doing that kind of stuff. All right, let's run a timeout right now. I want to mention I turned 40 earlier this year and all of a sudden I found I started to make some changes in my life. I, uh, I deleted social media off my phone for a bit. Uh, I quit drinking alcohol and I started taking keeps. Let me explain this past April, I was able to uh, take my parents to the beach for their anniversary. And, uh, as dad got in the pool there at the beach, I noticed, uh, well, it was getting a little Arn Anderson looking there. I guess in context, that's not all that surprising since we know that two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35, but I didn't think that was in the cards for dad. Dad grayed early, but as he would say, it turned gray. It didn't turn loose. Well, it is now. And thankfully I'm able to get ahead of this. 
I've recently discovered there are only two, that's right, just two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss. And thankfully, Keeps offers both. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. You've got convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, meaning you don't even have to leave your home. It's also low cost. Treatments start at just $10 a month and Keeps offers generic versions. They've also got discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. Now, prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. And if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Jarrett to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Jarrett to get your first month free. That's keeps.com forward slash Jarrett. That's keeps.com slash Jarrett. You and Steve lose again on nitro this time to the Harlem heat. When Steve doesn't show up for close to eight minutes into the match, he's going to tag in and then tag right back out and you take the loss. So you're really going nowhere as a horseman. And I'm sure everyone listening agrees. And Reggie white winds up being announced at wrestling at Slamboree, but it's to face Steve McMichael in a one-on-one match. Were you disappointed that Mongo got the nod instead of you? I don't remember the intricacies of it, but I, I do remember a less you know, tags or six man tags. They have a potential for a great upside that you can really control the environment, but they stuff can always break down and go the other way. If you have a single match and guys, you know, that LT bam, bam match at mania, uh, many moons ago, just those two guys, but they had had it laid out. So yeah, I, I don't say I was disappointed. I would have liked to have been a part of it, but I completely understood why. Uh, you work the, uh, Molson center show in Montreal and you defeat Chris Jericho. But what everybody remembers about this show is Jacques Rougeau pinning Hulk Hogan. What do you remember about that finish? Cause I'm sure that got your attention. Well, again, I mean, and I'm just trying to think Canadian audiences are awesome. And it is something about, because it's a U.S.-based product, uh, you know, WCW and WWF or WWE. It's obviously a U.S.-based product. You know, it's produced out of there. It's a TV show. And outside of Toronto, you know, American sports um, don't necessarily go there. Years ago, Montreal had the Expos. But but getting shows, whether it's Winnipeg or, I mean, Kitchener, Ontario, or you know, Moose Jaw or Edmonton or whatever, the the Eastern provinces, when you're actually performing in their country, there's a different vibe. And I used to have conversations with Owen about that. It's like, it's a whole nother level uh, of excitement. And yeah, they don't get us very much, but still there's something about a Canadian performing in front of their home audience, whether it's Edge or Christian or Owen or Brett or, or Jacques and Jacques is French Canadian, um, which a lot of folks there believe they're a country in and to themselves. They're French speaking it, but it was very cool. Uh, a great house and Hogan went up and did business. Yeah, he did. And then there's a sold out nitro in Philly. You and McMichael are going to beat Harlem heat by DQ after Sherry interferes. And it's announced that you'll be taking on Dean Malenko at Slamboree in the middle of horseman country. Boy, one of the all time great ring technicians, Dean Malenko, you've got to be excited about this. Yes. Yeah. That, that Philly nitro was packed. There's a Boston nitro. I mean, just the houses, it was, 
boy, I think we were right in the middle of 83 weeks here. Um, shout out to EB, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was, the business was red, red hot. And, um, when we were headed back down toward the, you know, knowing that, okay, we're U S title and all, how that's all going to, we're heading. I was excited. And Dean, look, he's second generation and outside of his, you know, I was never around Dean and until I got to WCW and his one liners and his wit. And, um, he, I always used to just chuckle because Dean Malenko humor is, is in a lot of ways in a class by itself. <laughs> I always had fun. Very dry sense of humor. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, but, but spot on. Yes. I, I very spot on. Uh, at Slamboree, you wind up losing the Dean in 15 minutes. Meltzer Duggett gave it three stars, but it happened when Steve McMichael throws you into the ring and Dean pins you after you had a collision here. Um, what'd you think of the match? Did you enjoy working with Dean? I did. And, and that's something that, um, again, my upbringing, whether it's the moon dogs or Jerry Lawler style match or Bill Dundee and, you know, they used to call it the Tennessee high spots or the Tennessee style, but you know, um, Pat Tanaka, Paul diamond, Billy Travis, uh, the rock and roll RPMs having a good, uh, we'll call it a wrestling match, but then to do it at nitro and with Dean, the man of a thousand holes. And yes, Dean did teach me holes and he he's so smooth. Um, hell yeah. I was excited because, um, we've already, or we're in the middle of going through it, but when you have the horseman storytelling and tags and Rick hurt and Arn hurt, I, I didn't get many opportunities in public enemy and, and a tag with Harlem heat or high voltage. We've sort of gone through my opponents. And now all of a sudden I get to work with, with, with Dean. Oh my God. Uh, I loved it. And, and, and I think it's one of my, you know, hidden gems, if you will, if I was putting together a, uh, a DVD of, of my matches that people are like, you know, people are certainly aware of me and Shawn Michaels, me and Scott Hall, uh, me and Kurt Angle, um, the, the, you know, I, I guess the, 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 the low hanging fruit type matches, but to me, me and Dean, it's one of those ones that, that, um, and due to him, because it was a, a, it was a wrestling match. Uh, imagine that it, it was a highly competitive back and forth wrestling match. And I loved it. Good times here. Uh, you're in this same show going to help Steve McMichael beat Reggie white, which I guess makes me question your sanity a little bit. I mean, Mongo's not exactly helping you. And then here you are helping Mongo. What's up with that? <laughs> well, I'll use your line from earlier in the episode. I was doing it with creative, but no, it was one of those things. And me and Mongo did joke about it, but it was, we'll screw each other, but don't let anybody touch us. But there was sort of the infighting in ring jealousy in inner four horsemen jealousy. But I don't think the story really got through to the fans, certainly you. Uh, but because uh, you're to this day still disclaiming as a horseman with all the facts and all the evidence, uh, you know, going the other way, you actually got Rick in here today. And I, I know you were hoping that he would side with you, but oh, I, he, he, he probably thought I wanted you to say, or I wanted him what? to say. I mean, I'm sure in his private life, he would deny it all day. Oh, in, yeah. in fact, that's the reason I called him. I, I was, 
I just know we've had that conversation. He's like, no, Jared sucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I just thought, well, he'll back me up. But then I said, well, Hey, we're on Jeff's show. And he's probably like, I can't bury him on his own show. So. Uh, Man, you are so appropriate for 2021. You're just fitting the narrative. Conrad's narrative. Well, hang on now. You recently ran into Rick that he's, did y'all go out and Nate all night and stay all night and stay a little longer and we strutted. There's a, there's a picture of me, the King and, and, uh, the nature boy strutting in Albany. Yeah, he does that with little kids too, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> you lose to the Steiners, the next night on nitro in Asheville. Uh, and then in Columbia, South Carolina, you work in a uh, house show teaming with flair in the main event, losing to the Steiners, but boy, teaming with Ric Flair to take on the Steiner brothers in horseman country of South Carolina in the main event. This whole little WCW experiment's working out pretty good here in May, isn't it? Think about that. You know, me and Scotty, uh, the day he came to Tennessee, uh, we became really good buds. Um, just, yeah, I mean, and, and I was always, um, you know, seeing Robbie, seeing Rick Steiner on WCW with the Kelvin Sullivan, you know, the varsity club, just, just Rick's progression as a talent. I, I, I loved him as a single character. And I thought that, you know, it's not easy to when they busted up and I'm trying to think of an example, well, like Bobby and Dennis or Ricky and Robert or Hawk and animal. It's not easy to, to split teams up and, 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 you know, Nick and Matt Jackson, I, I, you know, whoever it is, it's not the easiest thing, but big Papa pump and the dog face gremlin were, were yes, legit biological brothers, but they had such different personalities and the people knew it and it worked. And so to, to face them and, and Nate, um, you know, it was the horsemen as in plural, two horsemen against two Steiner brothers, two, uh, you know, horsemen against two biological brothers. So do you hear me, Conrad? No, I heard you, you know, it was the greatest wrestler that ever lived and a guy who was ripping off his strut in a losing effort to the Steiner brothers. Oh, lots of chastising going on here, folks. Get even more from the hottest new podcast going my world with Jeff Jarrett over at adfreeshows.com. Let me get granular here for a minute, folks. Not only can you get the entire my world episode library with zero ads, new episodes come your way each week early ad free and on video starting at just nine bucks a month. We've also got tons of exclusive my world bonus content waiting for you. Plus unique interactive experiences with your old pal, double J. You get to jump on and ask Jeff questions. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for top guy weekend, you got to hang out the entire weekend. Just recently, we sat down with Robbie, the Highlander to clear the air on what really happened that night at the TNA taping in Orlando. We also had Jeff join fellow WWE hall of famer and ad free partner, Eric Bischoff to watch Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson's very first match. And even talked with Tony Falk about breaking into the wrestling business. And how about this? There's only one place to get all this exclusive content and experiences. And that's by strutting over to adfreeshows.com right now, where you get my world and all of my podcasts early and ad free on video for as low as $9 a month. That's just 30 cents an episode, 100% the best value in all of wrestling. Strut on over to adfreeshows.com right now to sign up. You work another house show on May 31st in Athens, Ohio, teaming with flair against Harlem heat. And you actually get the win. But the story is that Booker T wound up in the crowd going after a heckler. Do you remember this? Ohio university, right? Uh, well, it's in Athens, Ohio. 
That's, I mean, yeah, but uh, Athens, Ohio, but it, at the University of Ohio, and and there is a long uh, lineage of it, it's got an incredible marketing school. Uh, our buddy Abyss, Chris Park, uh, <laughs> is a graduate, but Mike Weber. Uh, but anyway, I, I, Ohio University, and you know that's that's a little bit off the beaten path to get a WCW show. Um, but to, I do remember that I had no idea what was going on, not till way after the match. Like, what what actually happened here? But uh, yeah, it was one of those things that that happens. A real bright spot for you. It's coming up here, and uh, it's happening sort of all of a sudden. Uh, it's the nitro from the fleet center in Boston, 22,000 fans. And you're going to defeat Dean Malenko for the U S title with a little help from Eddie Guerrero. And I want us to listen to this. It's a two minute clip here. So bear with me. an uppercut Malenko look, he, he tried to stand up to get off of the turnbuckle, but could not. And now the clutches of Jarrett, watch this, watch this. Superplex from the top turnbuckle and both hit very hard. We've got a visitor. That's Eddie Guerrero. It certainly is. Guerrero, who was injured by Dean Malenko not too long ago, is going up top. We haven't seen Eddie in over a month. What is he over doing? Two months. Frog oh. splash. I thought he was injured. And he puts a swing on Malenko, who is out. And look at Scott Dickinson. Where did the swing come from? And how did Malenko wind up on his back? You can read his expression, and she's going to give Jeff a drink of something here to try to revive him, tell him to get up. Malenko's not moving. No, the only thing he's going to do is cover the man. But he's going to put on the figure four. And he's got it on. Malenko is hurt. He's not going to be able to fight out of this. He's going to have to roll to those ropes again. He's going to try to get to the ropes again or turn it over. He'll never give up. He'll never give up. Malenko trying to shut out the pain. He cannot. Oh, my goodness. He cannot. Jeff Jarrett has won the United States Heavyweight Championship. Courtesy of Eddie Guerrero. Courtesy of Eddie Guerrero is right. A new champion crowned here in Boston, here on Nitro. Well, there he is, Jeff Jack, the brand new WCW United States champion. So there it is. Uh, Eddie Guerrero gifted you the United States championship. And man, this has got to be one of the bigger crowds you've wrestled in front of 22,000 fans. In Boston, a major market, not just for wrestling, but all entertainment here in America, 22,000 fans and you're the U S champ. This had to be exciting. Very much so. Um, and Eddie taking the sling off and but I was just listening to that clip. How good is Bobby and Tony Schiavone? Tremendous man. They did a great I mean, job. God, almighty Tony's energy and infection and, and, um, narration. The great ones. That's why, uh, you know, that's why he's still doing it to this day. And he just, was, just, and he was so great at it that all the time you ran TNA, you called him zero times. That's not true. One time he wanted nothing to do with it. Like that, nothing to do with wrestling. He said that. Yeah, I get that. He didn't say, he didn't tell me that, 
I mean, I, I dusted his crusty ass off and now he's the voice of your childhood again. <laughs> hey, so this came out of, this comes out of nowhere. You know, you've been knee deep in this horseman angle and yes. you've, you've been, uh, you know, teaming with flair and is he, or isn't he, and it's been some pretty miserable creative with Mongo. And all of a sudden you're the damn U S champ. When did you find out the day of day of, and it's one of those things again, uh, looking back on this episode, when you, when you really look down and, and get into the nitty gritty, like we are very granular on the weekend and week out episodic nature of, of storytelling. But then when you pull out and say, Philadelphia sold out, Montreal sold out, Boston, 22,000 live event down in Columbia, South Carolina, Memphis, whatever it may be. Um, it's just that creative. Sometimes people, and I'm guilty hang by every, every thread. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, the people sitting at home don't have a clue what's on that piece of paper. So they just accept it for what it is. That's a different era with social media and people can play armchair quarterback and all that. But, you know, and it's, I think it's fascinating to have conversations about comparing eras, but it's, 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 it's just not accurate. You just can't really compare errors, but, uh, to go right into your question, Kevin Sullivan wanted to take a left and he liked me and Dean's chemistry. And for whatever reason, whether Kevin or the creative team said, let's switch the belt to Jarrett. Let's have a heel champion. Let's go with it. It is really cool. So you're not actually, I guess I, I want to mention too, cause I don't, I'm sure everybody's picked up the theme here, but after you won the title here on nitro, uh, June 9th, 1997, the prestige of the U S title was killed off completely. Nobody really cared about the belt after that at all. Um, now why is that? I mean, just, you know, you, you had that, uh, you know, it, if you're good at planting things, they say you have a green thumb. If you're good at killing things, they say you have a brown thumb and I'm never going to say that you're a brown noser, but you're a brown thumber. Brown thumber. You're a brown thumber. You killed the horseman, killed the NWO, killed the bullet club, and you killed the US title. I mean, after you had it here, I mean you're we're gonna get there, but you're talent takes talent. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying after I mean Mongo held it after you and uh, General Hugh G. Rection held it after you, and Chris Canyon held it after you, and David Flair held it after you, and Tajiri held it after you. It just, it it took a few steps down. Oh, here we go. That's fine. Googled U.S. champions, and you went down your little list, and uh, I left off the Goldbergs and DDPs and whatnot, and we just focused on the facts. So <laughs> you're not wrestling at Great American Bash, but you accidentally cost Steve McMichael his match against uh, Kevin Green. Feels like this should have run its course, but it doesn't. But the split finally happens the next night in Chicago at another sold out United center show where Mongo hits you with a pile driver and a tag match against Scott Norton and buff Bagwell. And McMichael of course is cheered like crazy for turning on you. And boy, what a reaction it was here. I mean, anything Mongo does in Chicago is going to get over, but when it happens to you, what do you remember? Had a lot of heat. When I went back and locked, watched a couple of different clips, and I'm talking about literally from the in-ring with Piper and and whatever it is, out of the four horsemen, people, they loved Darn. 
and you know, he wasn't wrestling every week and, and they, they obviously love Rick. Um, and, and Benoit was the wrestler and, and, you know, he was involved in the story. Universally, I was hated. I, 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 and I loved it and I wanted it to this day, Conrad, you still hate me. But, uh, every, but, everyone but, listening to this does. I mean, they fall in love with you now. I, they hated me. So when I knew that we were going to finally be able to do some type of split and the opportunity was going to be in Chicago and I can say, Hey man, cause they're like, what are we going to do in the finish? I said, look, and in a lot of ways, Chicago is a Ric Flair town. Oh, of I course. mean, say it's a, this and that and WWF very stronghold, but in a lot of ways, Chicago is a Ric Flair town. He, I just heard a story. He went and did a signing up there and a buddy of mine was talking about it. anyway. So I strut in Chicago. They are going to boo the living shit out of me. And so that was the spot that we did a little something. And I tried to get Mongo to strut with me and I went ahead and strutted arrogantly. And when he turned me around and manhandled me, got me in a tombstone, the building erupted. They love Mongo everywhere. I mean, Philly and look, he played against those Eagles and, and Boston, you know, but everywhere Mongo went, although he wasn't the most polished talent, he had a sense of, I will kick your ass right now when I get ready and people loved it. Let's listen to it. This reaction. Oh, wow. and again, Jeff Jarrett taking most of this matchup, missed the right hand. So Buff Bagwell just slapped Mongo. Uh, uh, no, he's not. He got them both in. Here comes Mongo. Up and down. Slap 76 in the face and see what happens here in Chicago. That's what happens. Jared, on your tail. Jared wants Mongo to strut with him, and Mongo will have none of it. As a matter of fact, he's had enough. He's had enough, buddy. And that's what he's done. Jared's not moving. So there you go. Big reaction. Nice little payoff that it's finally happening, right? Yes. People went nuts and couldn't have done it. I mean, United Center sold out legit. I mean, just again, not to be repetitive. The business was so hot, but Mongo finally dropping me. There was like, finally, we got a progression out of this. Um, or we thought we did. <laughs> so I should mention after the split. Of course, Deborah sticks with her husband. Uh, previously, it felt like she was more on your side. Was it ever seriously discussed uh, having them split apart and come with you, or was that too close to the whole Crispin Walk Evan Sullivan thing? Do you think it, it, it was never formally discussed? But they also never discussed me finally splitting from the four. You know, it just wasn't discussed. But again, I'll go back to Kevin Sullivan's psychology. Uh, my character could work with a valet a thousand times better than Mongo could. And Rick and Arn did, didn't need one. And, and Rick was the nature boy and Chris and Nancy and, and Sullivan were in their deal. So it just kind of fit, but there was never talk of either or. So at Nitro in Las Vegas on June 30th, 1997, Rick Flair is going to help you defeat Conan to retain the U S title, but then he fires you from the horseman right after. So let's take a listen to that segment. 
This is from June 30th, 1997. Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff, excuse me. Your moment of glory, basking in glory, if you will, here tonight on Las Vegas. Yeah, I see you had your support group with you, the four horsemen together again. Oh, they were never apart. Because like I said on Saturday night, the only thing that came between me and the other horsemen was a little tinge of professional jealousy. Because Arn Anderson, Mongo, and Benoit have one thing in common. I beat them all. But this man, oh yeah, the nature boy, the only true icon. We got an NWC 13-time world heavyweight champion. Now me and Rick have always seen eye to eye. He knows that I can style and profile, walk the walk and talk the talk, but that man right there invented it. Oh, and I guarantee you one thing, I'm a horseman because Rick says so. I'll tell you what, you've got a big fan, Ric Flair, in Jeff oh. Jarrett. Mean Gene. Woo. They say that sometimes familiarity breeds contempt is taking place right now. Jeff Jarrett, you're a fine athlete. You're a great young man. You're a player. But as of right now, you are no longer what? a horseman. Oh, my. Oh, my. Look at Jarrett. I don't understand that. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Rick. You've never been able to tell me what I can and can't be. What I'm telling you, and if you don't believe me, ask the crippler. If you don't believe him, ask the big man, is tell your story walking, Alan Jackson. You're out. Final. And if you ever had a chance to be in here with only because the queen likes the way you look momentarily. Thank you, Rick. Now, how can I put this in a nice way since I am the queen? Jeff, you are as welcome in the Four Horsemen about like a skunk at a lawn party. And in other words, you stink. You, you hear that? Gene, think all this is right here. Rick is just like these two boys. Just a little tinge, don't a lot of professional jealousy. Now, Rick, I'm gonna make one promise to you. You've never been able to tell me what I can and can't do. But you just loaded the gun, you just put the pistol to your head. I'm gonna be the one to pull the trigger. I am going to be the man that finally puts you out to pasture where you belong. But apparently, uh, the apostrophe at the end of that exclamation. Don't overstay your welcome, Jarrett. Move while you can. Thank you very much. Apparently, Jeff Jarrett has been relieved of any and all. Is that true, Chris? Jarrett tried and tried and tried to conform. What he didn't realize is that the horsemen are about non-conformity because we are non-conformists. You had the opportunity, Jarrett, and you shagged it all up. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Bottom line on this one, Jeff Jarrett, here live in Las Vegas, has been relieved of his duties as the four horsemen. We're on the trip. Man, I knew you got fired live on Raw. I didn't know you got fired on Nitro, too. 
How good is Mean Gene? Mean Gene is a couple of these clips. He is so damn good. Um, hearing that back again, it it you know one of the things that jumps off me is just jumps off the page. I mean, we went through the handshake and an Arn involved, and and just the whole buildup of months and months and months. And then I didn't really do anything physical for Flair to say. I just think it, it was so flat. I can remember hearing the creative and okay, wait, Rick's going to help me win, but, but then we're just going to like verbal go through this so flat and, and candidly, I know we're having a lot of fun on this, but to the viewer at home, it's, it's really hard to get emotionally invested. Like, okay, that's it. We yeah. sat around yeah. for six months and Rick just says, okay, you're out. And Deborah says something. I mean, just by the skunk. And that, that was just like, it was, it was, it was odd. It was hokey pokey. You know, you're in, you're out. Yeah. It was weird, but you know, that's, that's the theme. You know, you, if you want something to fall apart, you know, just, you know, sometimes when you're making a recipe, you just add water, right? Well, you, things are going good. Just add Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Brown thumb. (laughs) Uh, but you gotta assume, Hey man, this means I'm working with flair, right? For flair to kick me out like this, you know, yes, that's where we're headed. And that's where we, you know, Rick's health was getting back, um, shoulder and all that. We were headed back in that direction. So the rumor in innuendo and the narrative as Eric likes to say, is at the time WCW really spent all their time booking for the top stars, the mid card guys, the cruiserweight guys, they were just sort of like, you know, not priority and they just moved how the wind blew. Right. It, there's always been a sense of unorganization and, and things not really matching up continuity wise, is that sort of what you chalk this up to? It just wasn't a priority for WCW. It was almost an afterthought. You're creative. Well, and look, I wasn't in the room and I think, uh, Eric or Hulk or Savage or Hall or Nat, whoever you got to be in the room. So, but my perspective was, is this when this went to, now when did it go to three hours? Not here yet. Right. 97, but it'll be a little after this. Okay, but but anyway, still right in eleven or twelve segment segments with, I don't know how many guys fifty. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about guys that were on TV generally, you know, cruiserweights and all that. It was um, the environment created that Hulk had a, I don't say a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, maybe he did tremendous amount of creative control, but so did Scott and Kevin and input and. Obviously, Kevin Sullivan trying to write this, but then Rick and the Four Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom. It, at the end of the day, that that was it was just really, really difficult to write th- this book of of an author. Uh, you see where you know Tony Khan goes on record now and says he took the reins over and he's, you know, I don't say completely. I don't know exactly how he, you know, quotes how, how he says it, but. There were a lot of, I don't want to call them writers, but there were a lot of contributors to Nitro. And so with that being said, the further, the more and more you add a contributor to the creative process, then it gets a little bit more difficult and a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult to uh, have a, a episodic um, show with, you know, 80 or 90% continuity. Injuries are going to happen. Things are going to happen where... Hey, look, it, it is what it is. We, we got to move on, but it became very, very difficult, very difficult. 
Man, it's holiday season, and I got to tell you, I'm pumped, not just for all of the family gatherings, but boy, I love giving a good gift. And lately, these last couple of years, I've been hitting home runs with paintyourlife.com. Now, if your family won't be together this year for the holidays, well, here's a perfect way to bring us all together safely. They've even got a really cool idea. It's a hand-painted compilation portrait from Paint Your Life. It really is the perfect gift. If you really want to give a truly meaningful gift, take it from me. It doesn't get any better than paintyourlife.com. You can get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You send any picture and man, they can even be from your phone. All right. That's how easy this is. It could be of your kids, of yourself, of your family, of your family home, of a cherished pet. And here's the really cool thing. You can combine photos into one painting. These guys are good. Check this out. With Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can bring together family members who never had the chance to meet. Like, what if your great-grandfather never got to meet your son, but great-grandma's still around? Buddy, put them together in one painting. Or maybe even better than that, check this out. You can create a portrait of the whole family without everybody getting together for a family photo. You choose from a team of world-class artists, and you work with them until every detail's perfect. You can order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's a quick and easy process where you get your hand-painted portrait in just about three weeks. It's meaningful, it's personal, and it can be cherished forever. It makes the perfect holiday gift for someone you love or for yourself. This has been a home run everywhere I've used it in my life, and I mean everywhere. I've been gifted two, one for my wife, one from Dave Silva. I gave my wife one. I gave my mom one. I gave my dad one. I gave my cousin one. I gave my in-laws two. At paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WORLD to 64000. That's WORLD to 64000. Text W-O-R-L-D to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. At Bash of the Beach, it's going to be you versus Mongo for the U.S. title, and you have to follow Benoit Sullivan in a loser must retire match, which is obviously tough. Deborah's going to turn on Steve to help you win, which I guess makes the previous creative make sense and maybe not make sense all at the same time. But it's a big night because you've got Dennis Rodman involved in the main event. What do you remember about this Bash at the Beach from 1997? July, right? Yep. So Rodman had to have been fresh off winning the championship, I believe. Yeah. It, it just, there, during that era when him and Carl Malone and they did the little dust up, if you will, during an NBA basketball game. Um, I'm not sure if this was the era of Jay Leno either, um, but the product was red hot. And you just, you know, that was Rodman, the next, what Leno's the next year. This is, this is, that's not this good. Thank you. Uh, but, but, but still, uh, Robin being a part uh, of this, you know, not just a NBA player, but by far the most outlandish, charismatic, unique personality. If there's a guy, if there's an NBA basketball player who ever fit in professional wrestling, it's Dennis. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. there's not even really a close second. So, Kudos to Eric and everybody that, that, that made that happen. Um, yeah, but again, with that, when you have celebrities coming in and then you've got all the different talent and all the moving parts, wasn't an easy show to produce, execute, write, or perform, you know, for the most part because of the continuity issues. 
So the next night in Orlando, you and flair are going to main event and you actually win by DQ because the horsemen attack you. But man, Nitro is the number one wrestling show in the world. And you're in the main event wrestling, Ric Flair. This has got to be like a pinch me moment. What a way to spend my 30th birthday. Oh, that's it here. Huh? Yeah. How fun is that, man? I mean, just, yes. And I'll, I'll remember, you know, that was a pinch me moment. The, the kid from Hendersonville, Tennessee, that just played basketball, that was, you know, the son of a wrestling promoter and, you know, watching Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman on my couch when that went down, but you know, the, the fan in me, and now all of a sudden, what you just said, main event nitro against flair. And the strutting, you know, I, I strutted when I got to the WWF as Double J. And so, you know, here here it comes three, three four years later. Um, and Rick, that Rick style, you know, I'm like, hey, man, what do you want to do? And he's like, no, what do you want to do? And I'm like, now, come on. Uh, but we put the match together, and it was cool. When we, right in the sort of the apex of the match, I pulled my uh, straps down, if you will. But anyway, we started... I can't chop, but I punch, he chops. And if you hear the people when he was beating the shit out of me in the corner, the people, I mean, the people were really, really, I wish we could have had a pay-per-view match. I'll say where it wasn't a TV match and really laid one out there. Yeah. I think it would have been, that'd been a nice, what if for sure. Right. During this time, you mentioned it. So I got to circle back. Why can't you chop? I've, I've never been a chopper. I've never, I'll say this, um, you know, one of Lawler, what do you think about this? Lawler hated chops. Yeah. And seven nights a week, you get in the, the, the situation, you know, chops, uh, do they really add that much to the match doing it seven nights in a row? I don't know. You know, I, 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 I it's debatable. I think they're great at the right time, at the right place, but chop, just a chop. So that was sort of my upbringing. And then again, I've never been a chopper. I've been a puncher or whatever uh, other stuff, but I've just never been one of those guys that, that either gave chops or took chops. It just wasn't in my repertoire. In Jacksonville, Malenko is going to beat McMichael and you after Deborah offers a spot to Dean Anderson is not coming to back, uh, back to wrestle at this point. So you're officially out of the horseman Malenko's in. So now it's Malenko Mongo and Benoit and you're in the rear view mirror. You know, it's not quite the horseman that you grew up on, but do you wish you would have had a more solid story with it? Or were you pleased with it when it was done? Uh, yeah, I, it, we just hit on it. I, I really thought from the very time we came in. When you look again, the four horsemen, and we've joked a lot, but the four horsemen that I saw for the very first time, Flair is that centerpiece and the world heavyweight champion. And then Tully had the secondary belt. And then the Andersons, the tags. And they had, you know, JJ Dillon, obviously not a Jim Cornette or a Jimmy Hart or, or, you know, those type managers. JJ Dillon, and again, the first time I saw JJ, was when he was from Florida sending up tapes and he was Kamala, the Ugandan giant manager and JJ had delivery. I tell you what, 
wrestling fans out there, if you want to hear a, a, a money drawing promo, go back and look at some old JJ Dillon, uh, promos. He was really good. Really, really good. So that four horsemen that I grew up on, and then I get to WCW and Kevin Sullivan, you know, sits me down and lays out, Hey, we're going to do this thing where flair puts you in the four horsemen and we'll see where it goes. I actually thought from that first and second and third conversation that I knew from the beginning, flair and Jarrett don't last in the four horsemen. We can go through this storyline, but at the end of the day, the money's Jarrett versus flair. It's, you know, it's, it's why Rick liked nature boy, buddy Landell. Hey, or dusty liked it. Dusty's the one that really liked it. Let's match them up and not nature boy versus nature boy, but Jarrett versus flair, you know, winner stays in the four horsemen, loser leaves or whatever the storyline. I really thought that's the direction we were going. I was told that, that that's where we were headed. And yes, we had the R and injury and, and all the ins and outs and Mongo, not a full-time wrestler, but coming to be a part of it, knowing that we needed a partner for him. But I really thought the progression was going to be was build and build and build and build. And because Rick, proverbially put me, took me under his wing and, and it's like, okay, I want Jeff in what I say goes aren't, if you don't like it, you know, but finally we all agreed Jeff's in contrary to Conrad Thompson's belief. But anyway, we head down that road and I'm the one who finally gets too big for myself, too cocky, too arrogant. I'm the young guy. I'm the young bull in the arena. And Flair's like, whoa, 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 put on the brakes. And then we finally do enough teases and enough teases. And I'm trying to step out in front in front of Rick and Rick's having patience with the kid. But finally, push comes to shove. And the mentor and the mentee or student and teacher, whatever you want to call it. But me and Rick finally go to blows and we have our blow-off match. That was my hopes and visions and dreams. And I was really hoping we would head that direction. But for it to peter out on Nitro and then just sort of fall by the wayside and move on down the road, yes, it was a disappointment, but also grew up in this business. I understand sometimes things just don't work out. It did not affect my paycheck that day. So, you know, oh, is it? It's what we do it for. You know, you, you got to do it for the love of the industry. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Remember how easy it was in your twenties. You had so much energy. You could get away with late night drive throughs You could pitch a trouser tent at a moment's notice. Well, yeah, you had plenty of testosterone and now it's time to get it back. You could get testosterone injections, but that involves that awkward doctor visit, expensive medical bills. And the worst part, once you opt for artificial testosterone, you will suppress your body's ability to naturally produce it even more. But isn't that kind of the problem in the first place? Before considering the pharmaceutical option, there are ways you can naturally raise your testosterone. But one of the easiest ways is by using the Legacy Test Stack from Legacy Sports Nutrition. Test X9 has nine key ingredients clinically proven to support natural testosterone production. And T-Assist is designed to supercharge T-boosting effects with added anti-estrogen compounds. Nick Aldis, the founder of Legacy Sports Nutrition, has been blown away by the feedback that customers have sent in after using the ultimate test stack. Guys are feeling better than ever. They're feeling stronger in the gym. They have more energy. Guys in their late 30s have reported getting morning wood for the first time in years. And one even reported becoming a father after four years of trying. No matter what you do, if you're a guy, 
having optimum testosterone levels is the key to looking, feeling, and performing better. So try the Ultimate Test Stack today, and they're confident you'll love the results. Just go to LegacySupps.com, that's L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, and use our very special promo code MYWORLD for 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com, and the promo code is MYWORLD to save 10% off your entire order. And the beat goes on. Um, we should mention that you're going to start teaming with Dean and it's scheduled to be you and Dean at road wild against Benoit and McMichael. And that's said to be one of the more challenging environments to work in, in the, uh, the outdoor Sturgis show road wild. What do you remember of that? Let me ask you just off the cuff. And I don't know if you've watched this clip back, but, uh, Jeff Jarrett, 1997, long blonde hair. You'd think I'd be a heel or a baby face at all, at all wild. Big time heel. <laughs> oh my God. They hated me. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I can remember looking out at that ring when we got there and it's just a big field. I'm like, how is this going to work? Oh no. The people are going to fill in and come showtime. And again, you talk about pop culture going from Reggie white and Kevin green and Mongo and you know, uh, hall of fame football players, uh, that's pop culture, but then equally, uh, as high in the pop culture chain, you know, you have biking conventions all the time and all over the country. There's only one Sturgis. Yeah. There's only one Sturgis and we're going to be a professional wrestling, not house show, not television. We're going to do a pay-per-view at Sturgis. I mean, big time. Really big time. I thought it was super cool. And I, as the heel, couldn't wait to perform. You barely get into the match and have McMichael hold you down to pin you to get you out of the match. You had some amazing heel heat here and your WCW one year deal seems to be coming up shortly, but you're still the U S champ. So here we are in August. Your deal is up in October. They've still got the belt on you. Are you having conversations with anyone from the office about extending or, or what's that process like for you in August? Conrad, uh, I actually looked for, uh, obviously I don't have computers from that deal, but I do have a legal file that goes back to 93. I was trying to look at different things, but there was no really papers. I, I, I wish I could rack my brain and say, when did I first have the conversation with WWF. What was the first conversation I had? It wasn't in August to my recollection. I think that deal went really quick. Like I would say inside 30 days. Um, but I just don't, I, I, I can't uh, say for a hundred percent sure exactly when all that started and stopped and all that. Certainly not at this point. So clash of the champions is coming up. Uh, and before we get there, uh, we've got Benoit McMichael defeating you and Eddie Guerrero on nitro in an excellent match in Birmingham, Alabama, another sellout. Uh, and then the clash of the champions is what's reported as a, a bit of a surprise. Steve McMichael defeats you for the title after fared inter, uh, failed interference from Eddie Guerrero. Were you told you were losing the belt the day of, did you know, ahead of time, do you think they realized, Hey, we don't have him on paper yet. We need to get the belt off of him. What do you remember about that? I don't think it was a contractual situation at this time. I think it was more of Mongo 
and how do we keep him featured and who, who, what can we do here? And it, it was, I don't say keeping Mongo happy, but, but keeping, it was another thing, Kevin juggling seven or eight balls, uh, Kevin Sullivan that is, and, and only having two hands and okay. Cause again, I, I sort of, you know, me and Dean, we had that U S title and just, it, I think it was, a. Uh, a decision made, not really contractually, but again, I wasn't in the room. I was told if not the day of the day or two before, um, that I was losing. And then, uh, you put over flair the next day in Knoxville, uh, and then Columbia, then Florence, it feels like, man, all of a sudden you're on a losing streak here. You know, they, they had the uh, golden horseshoe with you and now not so much. Uh, Wade would write. In fairness to Deborah McMichael, it isn't her decision to not go on the road with Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett actually asked that she not go on the road. Anytime her husband, Steve, isn't also on the road. Jarrett apparently feared accusations coming up from them being on the road together and realized with McMichael's relationship with Harvey Schiller, that he would be the odd man out of it. If controversy resulted, Deborah agreed to that step since she wanted her character to be linked with Jarrett rather than her husband. Uh, what do you remember about this? Is this, uh, some real life heat at the time? Are you worried about that with Deborah and Mongo? Just, and as you were delivering the Schiller deal, I had forgot that there was a relationship and I don't know if it was Deborah or Steve or both of, of, of that relationship, but I think that's a little bit fiction writing in there that that doesn't, that doesn't ring a bell. And I don't ever remember. You never asked for that. You're saying. Oh God, no, I can't even uh, imagine Deborah wanting to do house shows or told to do house shows. Uh, so no. So you're still in WCW when uh, Arn comes out and cuts his infamous spot promo. Uh, he's going to give that spot to Kurt Henning. Thankfully we're done with the Jeff Jarrett experiments. Uh, how'd you feel about that? You know, this feels like a storyline that they once were maybe going to tee up for you. And instead you got bumped. And the former Mr. Perfect got it. Well, stylistically, Kurt fit closer to Arn than I did by a long shot. How so? I, huh? How so? Uh, in ring, uh, we'll call it technician. I, I just, um, and I think Kurt, Mr. Perfect was much more flamboyant than Arn, but, um, and you know, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're both incredible, like really good. Uh, performers. Um, but I, to me, my horseman story, when the flare thing didn't gel and then I dropped the title to Mongo, I'd sort of moved on down the road creatively. Um, but the old infamous spot, um, was that Panama city? Yeah, I think it was Panama or Pensacola. My bad Pensacola, not Panama city. It was Pensacola. Cause I can remember all the, I'll call it chatter backstage. Uh, was it Pensacola Conrad? You Googling? Yeah. I'm, uh, do you have a Pensacola story that ties in or we just, Oh no, I was just making sure. Anyway, that's my OCD recall, but no, <laughs> I remember backstage. Look at you chuckling. Um, that I thought the promo, I had no idea that it was legitimately going to ruffle feathers. Uh, no, wait, the parodies, what ruffled feathers, the yeah. promo the straight promo was great. And, and, you know, it, I think episodically it fit for Kurt to step in and, you know, Kurt, again, a guy that was a world champion and him and Lawler, boy, 
if you want to be, uh, that, that promo happened in Columbia, South Carolina, the spot promo. Yes. But, but the parody happened in Pensacola, September 1st. Yeah. Cause the parody got a boatload of heat backstage and I had no idea that it wasn't completely, I thought everybody was in on the no on it. I thought Arn and Rick and I, I, I just, I, I, I had no idea the feathers that that was going to ruffle. Uh, but the promo that Arn and, 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 and Kurt and all that, I can't say that I was watching it live, but I remember, okay, that all makes sense. Um, and cause Arn's arm, hand nerve, you know, like it is today, but it was bad. You know, I, I felt bad for him that uh, a legendary performer, uh, time cut short because that's, to my knowledge, the reality of it. His in-ring career was cut short due to his neck injury. And 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 if I remember correctly, and Conrad helped me out here, it's that it's like the wrestler mentality. Uh, it's a little out of whack, and he just never got it. He he just worked through it, bump after bump, month after month, year after year, and never let it heal up. And it eventually, the atrophy started in. Feel I felt bad for him. Um, but anyhow, your question was, what was my thought on the, I don't, uh, I don't remember. I took a little nap there for a while. Um, well, you are, (laughs) Hey, it's something of uh, some odd creative because you're going to, you're going to beat Dean Malenko in Winston Salem, North Carolina at the fall brawl show. And that earns you a title shot at Halloween havoc. Now I just want to remind everybody your damn deals up in October. And yes. here they are giving you a September win on pay-per-view against Dean Malenko, who of course is, uh, you know, going to be a, a horseman, but chat me up here. You know, when, when did you have a serious conversation with Eric at any point? How does that become a thing? No. And that was something that by the lack of, or non-existent communication, I knew that I wasn't going to get the bump that I was wanting. Okay. So let's talk about that. You know, do you remember what type of bump you were looking for? Did you right, have a dollar but, figure in mind? And, and look, I, I'm just going to go in, in, in rough numbers and timing, but the Steiners got bumped. I want to say, uh, maybe our, 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 uh, our researchers, you, you'll have that data, but with us, I think the Steiners and Harlem heat we're all bumped up to 750. Some big money. I, I, you know, the Steiners did get a bump in 99. Based on my court records that I've been able to find in 97, Scott made 340. In 98, he made 324. In 99, he made 696. Okay. But so, so around the 350, right? Uh, Booker T in 98 made 324. Okay. So all, but anyway, I, I, I think I was at, 225 or 250, and I was wanting to go to 350, 4, 450. I, and I look, Conrad, I'm really, usually really good with numbers. I just knew that that there was no, whether JJ Dillon, Eric specifically, there was no chatter going on. But Kevin Sullivan was not in the loop and told me so. Hey, man, I don't touch money. Yeah. I'm, well, Okay. I, I didn't even, I don't even think I really brought it up seriously to Kevin because why would Kevin put me over? But again, right hand talking to the left hand. Who do, you, who do you give your, your notice to talk me through when you know you're leaving or, or I mean, do you ever sit down with Eric and talk about money or talk me through it? Conversation. And look, me and Eric always had a, um, 
we weren't chummy, chummy buddies then by any stretch, but we always had a very, very professional relationship. And I would do things on segments on nitro and come through the curtain and look, Eric had a gazillion things going on, but there were many times that Eric, I felt again, this is only looking through the eyes of, of me, the performer that Eric, I don't say went out of his way, but sometimes it would be like, Hey dude, that was really good. You pulled that together out there. You're whatever good stuff or good. You know, he was always giving me attaboys, not every nitro, but <clears throat> often, but there was never a contract about re-upping for money. And that as a performer that grew up in this industry, that told me pretty much all I needed to know. So instead of getting a title shot, at Halloween Havoc, you finish up at the Target Center on October 6th in Minneapolis. And boy, think about the timing of us recording this episode. This weekend, AEW is going to be in Minneapolis. Oh, you're, wow. You're going to be in a losing effort to uh, Booker T. Uh, of course, your contract expires on October 7th. So you have one last match on October 6th in Minneapolis, and then you're done. The very next day, your contract is finished. And Eric Bischoff has said before that it was a mutual decision for your time in WCW to finish up. Uh, the observer remembers it differently quote, Jerry Jarrett had been handling the negotiations with Eric Bischoff and had been at least in Bischoff's opinion, negotiating in the media. Bischoff then went public and told the same people that he was pulling his $300,000 offer off the table because of that Bischoff, who clearly sees himself in a powerful, perhaps omnipotent position just because of how far the company has turned around is playing lots of hardball in negotiations, which naturally leads to ruffled feathers. And from the torch it's written, Jeff had creative differences with Vince McMahon. And that was the only difficulty he ever encountered. Said Jerry Jarrett. This is all in a uh, prodigy chat with Bob Ryder quote. Oh, wow. Bob Ryder. That dealt with the direction of his character. And if that can be cleared up, Jeff has nothing but fond memories of the WWF in quote, Jerry is acting as Jeff's agent in contract talks. Uh, he said, Jeff had made considerably more money in the WWF than his recent contract with WCW paid him. And that Jeff would not be willing to work for WCW on a per diem basis to fulfill the dates that WCW advertised for Jarrett in the future. Then there's a prodigy chat. On Tuesday night, October 7th, and Bischoff is here. And he would say, Jeff's contract ended today. I have respect for Jeff as a performer and a person. I sincerely hope Jeff will stay with WCW, but if he decides to go anywhere else, I'll respect that decision and wish him the best. He's a pro and a good human being and deserves whatever set success he can get wherever he chooses to be. How about that? Yeah. So pretty nice, but we, we haven't talked about your dad at all in this episode. Were you letting him try to act as your agent here? We had a conversation and that's why I wish I knew exact timelines, but I know that he, because I said, look, financial wise, they hadn't even looked my way. And, you know, in 95, when I was, we'll call it that run from January. And, and when we, the, in your house, I was over, I think I was, well over 200 or over 200. So, you know, WCW's money was about in half. Uh, and then, you know, I, I knew that, look, I, I'm not going to get the bump. They ain't even talking to me really. And so let's explore options. 
And um, I, I believe I apologies on the dog barking. If you heard that Conrad, uh, I, I believe See, I, I don't know if it was a Russo conversation or if that was, I, I don't remember exactly, but I know my dad reached out to JJ, not JJ reached out to Vince because he's like, and again, I, I, my recalls the crap on this because I, I, I do know hindsight's 2020. I didn't realize Jim Ross when I left in 96 and when I came back in 97, Jim's clout authority had drastically increased and I wasn't aware of that, but my direct contact, I believe my dad's first call was to Vince. And then obviously I had a conversation with Vince and then his secretary and they said, Hey, fly up to the house. Let's have a sit down and talk. That was, that was the, that's, that was the ultimate goal for me. I want to go back. And again, we're going back three, four, five, six months. I knew it was two different organizations, but let's see what the pay was going to be. But they didn't even, there was never an offer from WCW. And that, when I read the recap uh, about the $300,000 offer, I think that came in after, like, well after I'd agreed with Vince. And it was, you know, it was lower, much lower. Um, So it's, you know, it ends as good as it could. Why do you think your dad, Candidly. say again? I actually, when I look back on it now and just sort of how it went down, and Kevin Sullivan wasn't even you know, a little, little bit of a different spot, but he was the booker. Um, but Eric handed it professional. I handed it professional. Kevin Sullivan. I thought it's about as during these times, I'll say this. I'm putting it in the attitude era because, you know, you have X Pac and, you know, you had different folks going back and forth. I, I thought my exit was handled about as good as I could have voted for. Do you remember, you know, your dad referenced. He's not interested in fulfilling the dates he's been advertised for on a per diem basis. You've prided yourself on this show in the past and saying, oh, I was all business. Do you think in hindsight that you should have, or did you know, well, I'm not doing that because it's going to be to my detriment. They're just going to beat me a bunch. Did you assume that that would hurt your quote unquote push when you went to Vince? So, and that's my quote from my dad, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's Jerry Jarrett speaking for Jerry Jarrett, because that was not a possibility because the agreement went up to Vince's house. Jr. was there. I wasn't told not that it was any of my business. I thought I was meeting one-on-one with Vince. I mean, I thought that was, I literally thought that's what flying up there. They pick us up. My dad was going to be there. He'd been in the business forever. had worked for Vince. I didn't realize JR was going to be a part of that meeting, which, Hey, fine. We'd always got long, but JR's a, you know, a territory guy like me. Um, but I left that house that night knowing my offer, my, basically my start date and everything. So I kind of think you couldn't have, huh? You just couldn't have, I get it. Oh yeah. And, 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 and I do remember thinking, I wish my dad would have said that, but it is what it is. Cause I, I really don't even think that was an option on, I don't, let me say this. I don't think Eric and WCW wanted me to fulfill those dates. I was advertised at. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. 
So you do a series of uh, quote unquote shoot interviews on WWF TV, uh, after you go back and, uh, you talk about how WCW gave you say again. So that's another episode, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, we talked about it in the Austin three sixteen, in the archive. So go check that out. But you sum up your WCW experience where you say that WCW gave you no opportunity to climb the ladder and the in-ring ability means nothing in WCW that you have to be one of Eric, one of Eric's boys to get a push. How much of that is the way you really felt? And how much of that is just a good promo that you and Vince put together? A good promo. Yeah. A good promo. The, 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 the look, we've covered it ad nauseum over these last two episodes. The, the, the difference between WCW and WWF, even today, the buck stops with one person. And yes, Eric was the buck stop, but, but, but he also had creative, you know, Hulk had creative control. There are a lot of other members that the buck stopped with. And then Eric had people to report to It's just a different environment. Eric had bosses. He had to report to, I think at the end of the day, a major part of Vince's success, major. And he'll tell you he's lucky and I'll call BS on that, but, but maybe he is, maybe it, but him having total authority, right or wrong, because nobody makes right decisions all the time, but right or wrong is something that gives everybody in the entire organization comfort in knowing that's a decision made and we're going with it. You know, for years, people would joke with me, Conrad, how do you have time to do all these podcasts and do mortgages? When do you have time to sleep? Well, the reality was I wasn't sleeping very well at all. Now I thought I had a life hack, right? I was cranking down the AC before I went to bed and it turns out I was onto something. You see, science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep restores your testosterone levels. It repairs your muscles after a hard day work and it improves your cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Let's see guys cranking down the AC boy. That was just fool's gold. I didn't need my kitchen to be cool. I didn't need my dining room to be cool. I needed my bed to be cool. Well, chili sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. It's a little weird to say, but I'm 40 years old and I'm feeling better than ever. And I give all the credit to chili sleep. Seriously, chili sleep makes the Uller, which is what I have and the cube sleep system. These are hydro power temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. The sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Seriously, imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili sleep can make that happen. This has been a game changer in my household. I've got one for the wife and I, she likes to get into a warm bed. I like to get into a cold bed. How does that work? Chili sleep takes care of it. Seriously. She's got a unit on her side. I've got one on my side. So what she likes to do is climb in warm, but then go ahead and cool her off through the night. So at like 10 o'clock it's automatically making her side warm and my side cool by midnight. We're both cool because she changes hers. Now she doesn't wake up and change it. It's automatic, but here's the really fun thing. It warms up to wake us up. Buddy, this is a home run for me. Prior to chili sleep, I was flipping, I was tossing, I was fighting with the covers. I was trying to find the cool spot. 
I would try to keep a foot out from underneath the blanket to regulate my temperature. I would be constantly flipping my pillow, looking for the cool side. Buddy, I'm cool all night long. I'm sleeping better than ever. I've got vivid dreams. That tells me I'm getting that REM sleep. Oh, and the wife, she wears one of those bracelets that monitors everything she does health-wise. She went from like 12 disturbances a night to two. Talk about some good sleep. You got to talk about chili sleep. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash my world to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for my world with Jeff Jarrett listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com forward slash my world to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. That's chilisleep.com forward slash my world. Uh, in hindsight, are you happy with the way it all worked out? Or do you wish you would have done a two year run? Could you have made it until October of 98 and then jumped on the WWF train? Are you glad you went in 97? Again, this is a fun part of the podcast in, in a lot of ways, because it's a great, you call them. What ifs, what ifs I would have signed that two year deal. Yeah. yeah. Just the, the, the the lay of the land would I've gone through that Indian Aztec or the NWA stuff. Would I have jumped ship and come right in with the don't piss me off character? You know, um, would I maybe lost a hair match in, in WCW because the business was evolving before our very eyes with Goldberg and, and NWO and DX and everything that was what an incredible, what if, but I live with no regrets because I believe that, that uh, a power greater than myself controls all things ultimately. So, but fun chatter, fun discussion. Um, you know, had I stayed, then maybe I would have run the angle with Rick eventually. Um, there's a lot of, for me personally, a lot of fun stuff to, 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 to discuss and debate what would have, could have, should have. I've said it, uh, I did my, uh, my world publicity earlier. And they talked about, I brought up cream rising at the top and the guy goes, can you elaborate on that? And I, and I believe that if you have the skill set in this business to get it done, you will eventually rise to the top period. So if you can work and talk and all that, so it would have been interesting to see if I'd have stayed another year, but I didn't. As we've mentioned a lot, sort of tongue in cheek here, you, you are part of the NWO. You're part of the four horsemen. You're part of the bullet club. You grew up watching, you know, Jim Crockett promotions on television. You saw the, the rise of the horseman as a young performer yourself. Was this overall, would you classify it as an achievement or a disappointment? Achievement. I mean, achievement. And again, armchair quarterback, and we could carve it up 15 different ways, but to, um, and I'll just the, the quick, and you can go into the archives and listen, but you know, that 95 run and then hindsight's 2020, but fell apart, went back for a cup of coffee, got injured. It was a complete mess. I met Johnson and that storyline and all that. And then to sort of be, we'll call it on the sideline there for several months. And then to be stepped back into WCW and that, a massive amount of talent. I mean, Kevin Sullivan and Eric Bischoff and others, I mean, Hogan Savage, it, I mean, he was a who's who. And for me to be brought on board, um, not the greatest financial deal, but, but to, to, to work my way up into that spot, <laughs> I think it's an achievement. I, I feel proud of my work. Did it go perfect? No, but I feel pretty damn good about me getting in there and busting my ass week in, week out, regardless of the creative handed to me. I tried to do my very best to make it succeed and shine and, and come off as something that 
the viewer at home could enjoy. Uh, didn't hit a, uh, out of the park every week, but I did what I could do. Let's hit some fan questions and we'll wrap this one up. Lopez wants to know with the attire of stripes, do you have any memorable moments of your own quote unquote wardrobe malfunction with this gear? Maybe a hand getting tangled up food from the stands, getting thrown in and maybe trash being caught in any, anything weird like that. Oh, 1994. I had uh, probably a three month, uh, Vince was the, the old adage, get out on the road, do the, uh, marketing campaign for talent. No, basically getting wins for a year, not getting wins, getting exposure. But you know, I was wrestling doink every night and doinks makeup would be on those straps. It was a pain in the ass could have, cause I'd have to wash that stuff every night. So maybe not a malfunction, but that would be the, one of the downsides to that gear. Um, when I, to, to relate to this episode, when I took the straps down and, and no, knew the spot was going to be, Rick was going to start chopping me then because he would say, shit, I can't chop you. You got those straps on. So I made sure that I took them down so he could pop me in strap. Johnny McDonald says if Jeff could have handpicked the version of the horseman he was coming to, which one would he have picked? Wait, are you, are, do I create a new version? Well, you could do that. I thought he meant of the existing prior versions. Like if you were going to be the fourth member who, you Oh, know. I got you. Well, I'll say this, me and Rick, I mean, what a four horseman it would have been something along the lines of, um, it's gotta be Flair and Arn and you and who else I was okay. I hear you. I, I'll give you a different little slant. What happens if Rick takes JJ Dillon's spot and it's me and Arn and Tully and I, I don't know. I, I was going to say, I, I love Chris Benoit as a horseman. Personally, I think he is very similar to Arn Anderson, the enforcer in the style. I think Arn, much better promo. Um, I would have loved to have had a four horseman, something along the lines of me and Chris in a really badass tag team uh, with Rick being the mouthpiece. But Rick wrestled into his 70s, so that didn't, that, that, that didn't work out. <laughs> I think it would have been more likely you could have seen Arn in the JJ role and it would have been Rick yourself, Chris Benoit and who else? Ooh, I like that Conrad. I, I really do. So, um, wow. Paul Roma. I, like I mean, that that's a unique, it's kind of a, a, a unique when you're going down that road, that would be pretty cool. Uh, Michael McClanahan asked a question. We're all thinking. What are Jeff's thoughts on replacing people in factions, such as the multiple versions of the four horsemen? Does Jeff believe that having multiple incarnations of a group or faction diminishes the legacy or impact of the original group? A hundred percent. Yes. No, no matter who it, who it is, it's, it's four horsemen. We've already talked about our original, the bullet club, uh, uh, you know, Fergal, um, Finn Balor, whatever you want to call him. He is to me that, you know, he's the founding member of the bullet club. We could go into, you know, Hogan Hall and Nash. That is the NWO. And look, you can, it's, it's a, it's an interesting debate where you cut it off on, okay, who should not, you know, where did it, you know, six was the sixth member. Okay. Who was four and five? Do you even know that six was the sixth member who was four or five DBIC. And I don't know. Yeah. DiBiase was in there. Yeah. I was going to say, but anyway, so I, I, to Michael's question, I, I think the, 
and it's it, it goes with um you know in Hollywood or you know when when you have a fill in on a, a television show a movie playing the part it's like the James Bond those original James Bonds are always to me so much better it's very hard to um, replicate the magics created on on the original uh, foundation uh, of an act it really really is. Uh, one last one, and then we'll wrap this one up and we'll talk about what we're going to be doing next week here on the program. Jimmy D wants to know, was double a as nice as he seems in and out of the ring. The guy's a legend and he seems so genuine on his podcast. I love double a. And when I first got around him, his storytelling, it's like this, you know, maybe my crazy brain, but you know, you can tell a guy like Arn is ridden up and down the road with a lot of miles. He's very conversational, great storyteller. Um, doesn't mind at all teaching at the drop of a hat, calling talent aside. I always was very aware how Arn would talk to whether it's a guy having a TV match or a promo or, Hey man, Arn, you got a minute. Can, can you give me a little feedback? Arn's a teacher. I think by, by his nature is storytelling and, and look, look at the personalities that were around him. Uh, breaking in as a young guy and, you know, as as he matured through this business, but a great dude. um, I'm really happy for him because all those years to being a producer, sure. He made good money and consistent job and out of the ring and all that. But when you see Arn perform on AEW now and you see his delivery of promos, here lately, a lot of times I think to myself, guys that are watching this, that want to make up a, a real statement in this business, I hope you're watching this. I mean, I, you know, Arn is, we're talking 97 right here. This yeah. is when he retired. This is the year he retired. So he's 23 years past retirement. And his promo skills are as relevant today as they were then. Yeah. There's a lesson there. I, I really do think there's a real, real lesson there. Well, we hope your lesson right now is that you're going to be tuning in next week because you don't want to miss what's happening on my world. And next week here on the program, boy, have we got a big show for you. We're going to be talking Genesis 2006 and what a main event we've got Kurt angle and Samoa Joe. We're also going to have the NWA world title on the line with abyss challenging sting the champ. We've got LAX working with America's most wanted for the tag titles. Christian cage is going to be in a singles match with AJ styles, Ron killings and Lance Hoyt are going to be working with the paparazzi, which is Austin star and Alex Shelley with Kevin Nash. We've also got the TNA X title on the line. When Christopher Daniels defends against Chris Saban, the naturals will be in there taking on Sanjay Dutt and Jay lethal. And then the voodoo Ken mafia are going to be taking on Maverick, Matt, Johnny divine. And Kazarian, this is a, a golden era. A lot of people might even think this is maybe peak TNA to see Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe. I'm looking forward to this just because I want to see it again. I mean, this is one of the biggest and best selling pay per views of all time, uh, selling uh, over 60,000 pay per views. People really wanted to see Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe. Is this, did you say Genesis 07, right? Genesis 06. 
six. Uh, it, anyway. it was marketed as uh, the dream match of the decade. November 19th, 2006. Can't believe it's been 15 years ago. Oh, wait. Okay. This is because Genesis, my bad. Genesis moved on later. It was a January pay-per-view. Yes. But this November. So this is the month. Yep. I got you a month after bound for glory. Yes. My bad. Yes. Um, I could not wait for this and I'll tell you why I didn't have to wrestle, <laughs> but no, uh, but the Joe Kurt matchup just literally off the buildup of, you know, a little bit of tease, but, but this is going to be fun. Um, researcher, let's get your hat on out there. Cause we got three or four impacts that lead up to this. And, uh, man, you just read the card. You, you, you can say this was, um, I, I think from Oh six, uh, of, uh, um, uh, you know, my bad October of Oh six till about September of Oh nine. Uh, it was prime TNA. It's the good old days, fun. man. The good old days. I can't wait to talk about it. This match in particular, we recently talked about with, uh, Kurt angle and Samojo over on Kurt show. You don't want to miss that. And now we'll be back to talk about that same show top to bottom, the build on the way to it, everything involved the most successful TNA pay-per-view ever. And it's coming your way next week. It's Genesis 2006 right here on my world with Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, we made it through. We had a run in from the nature boy. And we've decided yep. that, uh, although technically you may have been a four horseman, even you would categorize it as a disappointment, but the show this week was not, I enjoyed, uh, you know, having a fun little time here with you talking about your I, WCW experience look, just because I may disappoint me disappointed in the outcome, or you may be disappointed in the outcome. It doesn't hide the fact that you finally have agreed that I was an official member of the four horsemen. And I rank right up there with the outside of the original members. I'm if not one, I'm one a of, of the replacements. Would you not agree? Conrad? I would say you're in there with, with uh, Mongo. Um, you're below Mongo. I mean, cause that's, that's Rick's favorite. And you're certainly below Roma to me. I think Roma was a hell of a hand. I gave you a softball pal. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. I, I'm serious. These are one of these episodes, the last two weeks that, you know, um, and there's only a few of them out there, Jeff, Jeff, but, but, you know, people, when I look back on my career, they don't talk about a lot of this first year run in WCW. They talk about the 99 and all that kind of stuff, but the Guerrero and look, I, we, we sort of glossed over that match I had with Jericho at that, at that event. So that was, I had, I had in ring content this year, um, 30 year old, 29, 30 year old guy. I had a blast. Absolute blast. Uh, maybe my highlight of, of this week's show is you saying that on your 30th birthday, that's when you're in there with Ric Flair. I mean, what a cool day. As a kid who, who grew up, you know, in the wrestling biz, it's good stuff. Right. Well, all right, boys and girls, that's going to do it. Don't forget. You get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. We would love to have your, uh, your input on the show. If you think we've earned it, please throw us a five-star review. You don't want to forget to check out our YouTube channel. Some of our shows get a little long. We go to sometimes three hours. And, uh, if you want to introduce the wrestling fan in your life, that's easy to do. Just hit them over to our YouTube. You get lots of little bite-sized appetizers, if you will. And join the conversation follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's at my world pod. 
Uh, we put polls up there all the time. This story was actually once upon a time on a poll and, uh, we're having a lot of fun. So check us out. If you haven't already, it's at my world pod on Twitter. And don't forget to look at my world on YouTube as well. And, uh, Jeff, this will be fun, man. I'll see you next week. Talking all things. Genesis 2006. Looking forward to it. Connie enjoyed today. Really did my man really did. We'll see you guys next week right here on my world. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.